I have a real treat for y'all today. I have River here with me, and uh, there's a couple things I want to talk about. As I mentioned a few podcasts ago, I announced that I was going to be having conversations about sex and drugs um, and how they fit into the Noble Eightfold Path and really just into our lives and the human experience in general. But there's another thing I want to talk to you about, if it's okay. I've had a few people now ask me if I would interview you about your name change. Um, so as some of you may know, River's given name was Deborah. She went by Debbie, Deb. And recently, she has made a transition to River. So I don't know if, that, if you're comfortable. Do you mind opening up and talking about that experience and what provoked it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess it goes back to uh, childhood. I never felt connected with my name. Um, I tried Deb and Debbie, um, and it didn't feel right to me. And even strangers, when they met me and heard my name, would uh, tell me I didn't seem like a Debbie. And so I actually had like a girl in sixth grade call me Becky for a whole year because she like couldn't figure out my name. She's like, nothing fits you. Um, but I also, despite this disconnect with my name, also never felt connected to another name. Um, and so I, I didn't feel any surge to change it. Um, or anytime I would, it would be like I'd kind of test things out and it wouldn't work. And then I went to a beautiful retreat in Costa Rica, and one of the facilitators there was doing a voice activation around your name. What it was supposed to activate was these feelings of peace and strength and excitement and well-being, and I was watching the women around me all seemingly having a euphoric experience singing their name, and I could not. I tried every variation um, and I found myself really kind of frustrated and it felt isolating because it didn't seem like anyone else was having this kind of experience. And so I went down to, there's this beautiful waterfall on the property and I went down, hiked down by myself to just kind of sit with those feelings and to check in like, okay, what was that about? Why was that so hard? And as I was sitting on the rock, this by the waterfall, a poem came to my mind that I had written just a week or two before, and it was a rhyming poem. And I don't typically write rhyming poems. It doesn't like fit into my body of work. And that poem came to my mind complete with a full melody. And at first I kind of was saying it and singing it softly. And then just over and over again, by the end I was singing at the top of my lungs and it felt like that baptism I've talked about in other poetry. It felt like a coming home to myself feeling. It was incredible. I'll sing it, but um, note that I'm not a singer. And so just the mere trying of this feels courageous. Come baptism, come flow, come river high and river low, lost as only thought and word can bring. Come lay while stars and moon and river sing. Come wanting, come peace, come stars with maps that never cease, so wandering born of idle mind, come resting in their solace find, come lonely, come full, come bask in nature's gentle love. Mm. Yeah, so it was in the singing of that over and over again, and then it just dawned on me, river, like, oh, hi, 
Mm. <laughs> um, and it just felt like the waterfall and the river had blessed me with this name. Mm. Um, at first, yeah. I was really scared. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you. I was just going to say thank you for sharing that story. And um, I was hoping that you might shed some light on the consequences of changing your name are in this world and what challenges do you f- have you faced and resistance or pain and how are you coping? How do you navigate that? And uh, I don't know, bringing this to light sh- can hopefully help others who aren't connected with their name or their gender or their sex, you know, that can yeah. have some space. Well, I mean, I think... Create some space for these people. I think part of this actually has to do with my gender identity as well, as that I've always felt very gender fluid. um, And... We both share that. Kind of sit there in the neutral zone. Exactly. And Debbie didn't feel like it allowed for that in me. Um, Yeah. And uh, I do have a great reverence for Deborah and yeah I think that's an important aspect to bring up too right like we recognize that this was given to us and we honor and respect that and we see our tradition and our lineage and you know even if it's this name transition helps you to move past some trauma from that person that gave you the name I mean or know. how my name was used by other people's lips. Um, right. Anyway, yeah, please share any insights you may have. Yeah. The first thing I did when I got into the city, I, I stayed a couple extra days in the city after the, the retreat, was I went and got a bee tattooed on the back of my arm to symbolize Deborah because Deborah in Hebrew means bee. I wanted to honor that and hold it and create a beautiful representation of what that is. It's a piece of you. Yeah, it's definitely a piece of me. And it's allowed me... So this finding what feels like my name, River, has allowed me to kind of mend that the relationship I had with Deborah. Yeah, how did you phrase it to me? Um, <laughs> you said Deborah became your Slim Shady. Deb became my Slim Shady, specifically. Uh, um, so, yeah, uh, often when I find myself slipping into old thought patterns or habits, I can say to myself, hey. Hurtful ones. Hurt. Yeah, hurtful ones. Yeah. Hey, that's, that's not a river thing. Like, mm. that's a Deb thing. We can let go of that. Mm. And um, when I sat ayahuasca, actually, just two months later from uh, announcing my name change, I had a really beautiful experience where I didn't do a lot of purging in terms of throwing up. But there came a point when Aya said, is there anything you want to let go of? And I said, yes, Deb, Debbie. And it was really interesting just kind of watching my name through history and how it was used for me, who Deb and Debbie was and what I want to be now. So I then like physically purged immediately and kind of purged Deb out of me. So just to bring in a little context there, people were putting some self-image over you, such as your family and community with your Mormon faith and that it means all these ideals and or that you're a woman and that means this in the church. Speak a little more to that. So names have a really powerful significance in the Mormon faith. You know, a baby kind of christening, giving a name and a blessing. And so that was always really important. That was an important part of things. And in all the sacred ordinances, they use your full name. And there's such power to it. And so, I don't know. It was just hard for me 
to not feel that power in my name and to not feel that it represented who I was. So that's part of, like you said, the expectations of it, right? Right. Okay, sorry. You were getting a tattoo in Costa Rica, a B, which is Hebrew yeah. for Deborah. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I still didn't even know if I was going to tell anyone that I was going to change my name or whether I would just change it amongst family and close friends and not bring it into work. I didn't know what I was going to do, and it felt scary. I'm a 35-year-old woman, and it felt crazy to rebrand at this time of my life. Sure, that's, yeah. So uh, the day I left Costa Rica in the airport, it was so crazy. I was walking down a corridor, and this woman, this just incredibly beautiful, bright woman, was in front of me, and she points at me and says, Hey, I know you. And so we go off to the side, and I say to her, Oh, oh, you're Leah, right? Um, and she goes, No, it's actually Sage now. I changed my name. And this is a woman that I had met in Salt Lake doing figure drawing classes. And she actually, we had very brief encounters, but she actually empowered me to sit as a figure drawing model nude. Um, so she had had this interesting, impactful moment of my life in Salt Lake, but I only saw her like a handful of times. And then years, two years later, a year later maybe, we were in the airport in Costa Rica on the same flight together, and she had just recently changed her name. So it felt really powerful. So I kept, I kind of asked her a ton of questions, and she was so kind and so vulnerable and shared her experience changing her name, but she noticed that I was a little too interested. So she asked me, she said, hey, like, these questions feel really specific. What's going on? And I told her my story, and she said, okay, turn around. And when you turn back again, introduce yourself as River. So I did, and we both just started crying, goosebumps up our arms. It felt so freeing. It was that coming home moment again. And our flight happened to get delayed, and then we had to spend the night in a hotel room together. So we really just bonded over this experience. And um, it was the first easiest hurdle. Like I didn't, she actually challenged me to give it three months. She said, give it three months. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If it doesn't stick, it doesn't stick. That's okay. And you're okay to change your mind. But give yourself three months. I was like, okay, I, I guess I will. So I went home, and I think it still took me a week to tell you. I waited until we went on a hike together. Okay, so this getting to consequences. People have a relationship with you and your name. And so you're first thinking, okay, how do I tell John? Yeah, yeah, my first thought was, how do I tell John? And, like, I knew he would be supportive. I knew you would be supportive. Um, but I also... It just felt so vulnerable of a thing to say. So it took me a while to build my courage up. Um, and I thought that I would have to face more questions about it. But when I told John while we were out hiking, he was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You've never been a Deb? Cool. River. And then he even, like, went on to talk about something else almost immediately. And I had to stop him and be like, hey, whoa, like, there was Sorry. a big thing that I just told you. Did you do you have any like questions or concerns? I mean, it fits you so incredibly well. And yeah, I struggled with Deb and Deborah too. I'd say try all three, Deborah, Debbie, Deb, and none of them quite sat, you know. And then you tell the kids and what, what do the kids do? Like, yeah. Oh, they were like so cool about it. They're like, oh. Also, yeah, that makes Great. sense, That Mom. makes sense, Mom. Like, <laughs> you're definitely a river. Yeah. But what's interesting, too, is uh, we 
start going back through your poetry and there's just river metaphors everywhere. It's been in there the whole time waiting, waiting to be seen and come out. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. Do you mind sharing some of your poetry? I would love to. So these are two that I wrote in my 40-day fast at the beginning of 2021. Uh, give that a little more context, your 40-day fast. Yeah, so that was something that I decided to do to kind of ring in 2021 and start myself off on the right foot. Um, so I abstained from food until sundown every night. Um, and I also abstained from alcohol and chocolate. Um, alcohol's not hard to abstain from. Chocolate's very hard for me to abstain from. And then I, in addition to those things, wrote a poem every single day for 40 days. So two of those come from that. And this is a whole year before my, my waterfall experience in Costa Rica. I flow. An easy dance of questions on my tongue, the light of mystery in my eye. I examine and hold, love and discard. I heave and come alive, awake to the beauty of the unknowing. I am. Hmm. When I chose to be a river, I did not understand the inevitability of our confluence. I did not know the ways in which we would flow together. Our pour a promise, a simultaneous emptying and filling, an answer to the end of all threats of drought. When I chose to be a river, I thought my course a lonely cascade and instead have found power in our surge. Mm. Yeah, so just over and over again, flowing, river, water. Yeah, it's all over your being and your sexual fluidity, gender fluidity, your interests. You're a very fluid person. It's also a reminder to me because I there's a lot of things that I am naturally not fluid about um, and have kind of a rigidity with. And so even just having that reminder to be a river, to allow myself to surrender. Yeah, huge. Do you want to open up about that a little bit? What you mean by this rigidity, what what it is, what what it comes from, what impacts it? So I am on the autism spectrum. Our oldest son as well. Yeah, and it was actually through our son that I came to really understand how much my autism was impacting my life um, and the different ways that it shows up in me. So that's that's a really beautiful kind of being able to see where he is at um, and bring understanding to it. I think his experience is a little more intense than mine in some ways. But yeah, rigidity, black and white thinking, rule following, um, and being raised in the Mormon church really Habits. built a rigidity yeah. into me. Yeah. No, Gideon really appreciates his habits, and he's so good at cultivating them. And when he does, though, it becomes very strongly rigid and automatic without... Sometimes he misses that why. Yeah. So the name is a reminder but, for me. But so the autism and rigidity, a lot of that comes from... And I'm not a neuroscientist, doctor, whatever, but the language faculties, particularly in people with autism, are often hypoverbal. Or or it can also present as hyper. But Gideon's case, he didn't start really speaking until he was how old? It took him a long time. He had signs, hand signs, very early, but we even took him in for speech testing when he was four or five because most people could not understand him. Right. Um, I was the only one that could really understand him. Right. And some of my siblings. Sure. Um, Been around him and known his behaviors and his personality. Yeah. Yeah. So that 
that and um, delayed motor function. So Gideon didn't walk until he was 18 months old. So I had three children all that couldn't walk right. at the same time. Super mom. Um, now Gideon has one of the most incredible vocabularies of anyone I know. He's going to pass us very quickly here. And he's literal. So metaphors, sarcasm, body language doesn't really check for him. Say exactly what you mean and be precise about it, even to the minute or to the gallon or, you know, whatever the measure is. Very precise Mm -hmm. and wants to be precise in his communication, wants to be thorough and clear. Yeah. Oh, my Um, God, I love it. Love communicating with that human. Yeah, and I feel like um, in my personal autism, um, I would just disappear for days to read. Uh, Growing up, my parents would get me books for Christmas, like a whole stack of them, and then I'd be gone for Christmas Mm -hmm. break. Like, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't see me, except for at dinner time when we had to get up to the table, you know? Yeah, Um, that's totally Gideon. He just set a goal for himself to read. He read a book in two days, and then the next day, they've been doing some challenges at the library, but he decided that he wanted to read a book in a single day. So he went to work, and he read it. He came and said he couldn't see anymore once it got dark, so I went and got him a headlamp, and the boy finished at 9, 9.30. Anyway, yeah, you sh- all keep my language so sharp and pointed and skillful i'm really blessed for yours gideon's and even naomi's influence with your speech it's really remarkable to witness so tactful you particularly have crafted such a beautiful voice Mm. thank you yeah well more repercussions please yes yes um so we talked about the kids. Kids were easy. That was no problem. They were so, they were just like, yeah, that totally makes sense, mom. Um, and then the next person I wanted to call was my mother. And I assumed it would be a hard conversation, but I, I wasn't prepared, honestly. I had hoped that if I could tell her about my spiritual experience, that she would feel the goodness in it and feel the relief in me in it and choose to call me by my chosen name. And she has decided that that's not something that she'd like to do. Um, So that's definitely hard for me and a lot harder than I thought it would be. I knew I would be able to be compassionate for people if they slipped up, like, if they made mistakes, as long as they're trying, that I was like, that's going to be great, you know? And I think I had assumed that that would be the case. Yeah. The case. Right. So that has, that has been difficult and yeah. brought up some pain of that, like, not being seen and not being understood. And yeah. also the changing of names is such a powerful experience in the scriptures. Saul changes to Paul. You know, you've got Abraham, Israel, all over the place there are these powerful experiences where individuals are given new names. And and I think I took some of that into my experience, that beauty from the religion I was raised in. And it was hard for me to not see that recognized or felt or valued. On the other hand, I um, made a post about my experience. I was a little bit vague on details. I changed my Instagram name. And I, at that point, still didn't even know if I was going to bring it into work. I was just going to change my social media and at home. But my boss follows me. My boss follows me on Instagram. And he saw my post and that same day, He texted me and was just like, hey, River, here are a couple things I've got questions about. And I was like blown away because I hadn't talked to him about it at all. 
So such a good, beautiful response. And then he said, and I, he was so nonchalant about it, but I was like, hey, wow, that means a ton to me that you would just with no questions asked. Um, And he said, yeah, of course. Um, I think you should do an announcement in the Slack channel um, and I'll get your new email set up. Cool. Yeah, so that has been incredible. I've had some people reach out to me and want to know more about my experience and I've had people thank me for for making the change. And it's been it's just been interesting to see the response. It actually is overwhelmingly more positive than I ever thought it would be. Yeah, people have been really receptive. Yeah. People who see you understand how much that fits you. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of trans people and others who change their name face this from their parents and yeah, your mama gave you that name and she has a belief system that really prizes the family and these names are sacred in her eyes and it's really hard, you know. I felt similar feelings that it's not the child that comes first, but the religion and you know, that's that's tough. But also we are all navigating through this strange existence and so much uncertainty, you know. It, yeah. And your mom too, as we both recognized, is on the spectrum. She doesn't she's not diagnosed and or but you know, she wouldn't admit it, but definitely somewhere between you and Gideon. Yeah. And the rigidity. Honestly, the most dedicated, devoted so human devoted. I have ever known. Oh, my God. Up every morning pre-dawn so yeah. that she could work out, make lunches, and do her scripture study before everyone was awake at 6. So, you know, she was up at 4.45 every day. Didn't use an alarm clock because she didn't want to wake my dad up because he works so hard. And so she trained herself to wake up at 4.45 without an alarm. And she like full-heartedly prayed to God that he would help her do that. And, you know, sees it as a beautiful miracle and blessing in her life that she could have that consistency waking up at 4.45 every morning. And six o'clock in the morning, we're up and we're doing family devotional by 6.30. And memorizing hymns and scriptures together and writing in our journals and that foundation of morning devotional oh my god she's the strongest human i know she's had 18 pregnancies and she's given birth to 13 children yeah just a lifetime of unseen unacknowledged unappreciated service you know like so many mothers and just thrilled to do it yeah yeah Yeah. my mom's the most stable kind reasonable human i feel so much love from her Mm -hmm. every time i see her she holds me like oh my god i love you yeah yeah it's i really appreciate and respect your mom a lot of that love she has for you is seeing the kids and I so at peace and so happy like it's undeniable that this life is just delicious together (laughs) it is delicious I uh, had a experience recently that somewhat related it has a, a similar flavor it's not as drastic or doesn't have as many external consequences but still a coming home feeling. Yeah, transformation, a rebirth, however we want to frame these pivotal moments. But I don't know, it was 2022, I went to Spirit Rock, and it was my first retreat, well, formal retreat. I had sat in the UNAs on my own, but it was my first formal retreat since I had become a parent. And anyway, I shaved my head before... Uh, I went. I just didn't want to have to deal with my hair. And, you know, I've been balding. So I kind of just leaned into the shaved look. And anyway, I haven't grown my hair out since. Kind of been a letting go. But yeah, I was looking through my 
photos a little while back, and I noticed that I wasn't really connecting with the pictures of me where I had hair. That's so interesting. So, like, even recent pictures of you? Yeah. I thought about it and felt into it, and yeah, I kept thinking about your name change. It's like, this was a transformational place in my life, becoming a parent. It just developed this maturity and a sobriety and... Yeah, it's interesting, like, you carry it on your person there's just more depth Um, and it I think a lot of it did come right at that pivotal moment when you were exploring your grief and understanding like your motherhood really yeah yeah anyway the symbol the hair something to mark that pivot that transformation a name change like the prophets of old show can be a very powerful tool. So if, you know, any listeners don't connect with their name or, you know, they want to put some trauma to bed, I really like what you did, River, with getting the B to symbolize that part of you because we can't hide from this piece of ourselves, right? Even if it carries pain, even if it carries trauma. You really need to come to peace with it. But if yeah, you need to transition, I hope River gave you some courage and some space. Anyway, thank you again for sharing that. Yeah, I have a poem. Can I can I share a poem real quick? Yeah, please. So I'm working on this book called Myself in Fragments that John actually kind of came up with the title for and inspired me to write. But that line actually comes from one of my 40-day fast poems, um, day 15. And I feel like it's actually really suitable to talk about in the way that I found River. So, I find myself in fragments, slowly picking up the scattered pieces, pocketing those I like but don't quite fit yet waiting for a way to work them in, shaping myself in the image of the only God I know. Love. Thank you for sharing that. I'm very grateful that I get to be witness to you and your grace. There's one more thing I want to talk to you about, which uh, is actually what prompted us getting the mics out and talking. So I recently went out to New York to sit retreat with Locke Kelly, who I've mentioned before on the podcast. He's a really remarkable teacher and human being, playful, loving, compassionate, open. Anyway, he studied different wisdom traditions and then became a psychotherapist, practiced for decades, but all the time had this Buddhist background, particularly in the non-dual traditions. So he has a really strong element of mindfulness, or what he calls effortless mindfulness. Anyway, he's integrated into this mindfulness practice a very useful and interesting framework from Dick Schwartz, who came up with the internal family systems model. To just get a quick picture of what that kind of looks like, you can think of inside out. Oh, okay. So, like, the different emotions that you're having are represented by different people? Yeah, different people. So there's parts, and there's this whole family within us, you know, we got the board of directors that are cold and calculated, and we got critics, the judge, we've got the doubter, the depressed, the sad, the angry, and, you know, all these different, and even other pieces of the world, you know, shrapnel that's gotten into us, abusers, uh, you know, and scars, just the scars we wear. And yeah. So, yeah, you give them all a face, you know, a a role in the family. And it's coming to understand that, hey, you know, we 
are a family. Each and every one of us, though we may have disagreements, we're trying to protect us. We're trying to protect you. So it's recognizing each of your parts and loving them and really appreciating what they're doing for you. But then allowing yourself not to get collapsed into these pieces, you can stay in that awake awareness, that space of love and interbeing, so you can create harmony with your parts and let them talk to each other, let them see each other, and, mm. you know. Yeah. So, anyway, it's actually Locke's wife, Paige, wonderful, wonderful human with her own traumas, and at two of the retreats I've gone to of Locke's, Paige has created what she calls a sculpt. So rather than just with a therapist kind of giving each of these parts names for the sculpt, someone from the audience plays a person's different parts. So you actually build it out physically so you can have a visual representation of it. Right. So do you choose that person or does she that's uh, going to represent the person does. So, okay. Oh, you volunteer to represent a... No, no, no. Okay, no. sorry. Okay, so Paige asked me in this most recent retreat if I could do the sculpt with her. And, you know, I was a little hesitant at first. I kind of said, well, yeah, if you don't find anyone else, you know, I'll, I'll be happy to do it and I'll be raw and open. Uh, so I... Like, oh, there's a little shy part. <laughs> but I recognized that. And a few hours later said, hey, I recognize that shy piece. But no, if you want to create a dialogue and a you know, sculpt, let's, I would be happy to do that with you. Mm. So she did. And I, uh, it was going to be that night or the next night. I can't remember. But so I kind of thought about what are two interesting pieces in me that take up space, a lot of space, and two came to mind. Doubt and control were the ones that were kind of sitting with me all day. And Paige had told me, like, you know, don't think about it too much and just kind of let it be intuitive. And even when you pick the person out in the audience, don't pause for much time. Just really be intuitive. Oh, okay. And ask, and if they're willing, great. If not, ask someone else. Did um, you get rejected? Did anybody oh, say no? Oh, yeah, for sure. And the last one I saw, too. Some people are just really shy, and they don't want to go be up on the yeah. stage, you know? And Locke and Paige made all the space for that. Like That's simply. so amazing. Yeah. Because often that is, like, said as a thing, mm -hmm. but I don't feel like it sure permeates a space enough to open it up that people do like oh, they yeah, no. will like this, they say it they mean it like yeah this is a fragile vulnerable space and we've all opened our hearts this week so we're all soft and tender so like right. respect that space you know yeah anyway so i was actually my thinker thinking part was more interested in the doubt because it's the artist <laughs> and questioning my works like I'm going to fail the next day it's like dude you got this let's go <laughs> you know but doubt been there yeah uh, doubt is paralyzing and it really is ever present I uh in my journal I track you know my hindrances so I can see my patterns and Doubt is a, it's a frequent one. So mm -hmm. I, I was like, let's, yeah, let's open that up. But when I got to the event that night, Paige once again reminded me, like, hey, just let's be intuitive as we're up there. Okay, just feel the room, listen to the room, listen to your heart. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I get up there, and she asks, Hey, are there any parts that are kind of bubbling up? And I said, yeah, you know, when you asked me, two have kind of been hanging around today and, and control and doubt. And she's like, well, would one of those like to step forward? And control kind of jumped in, like, 
Yeah, I would like to. <laughs> okay, so can you tell me a little bit more about the mind state that you were in, how it felt? Because you're doing this very active thing, right? You're in front of a bunch of people. You're having a conversation. Is there a sense of ease in your body? Sure, no, yeah. The Are you aware of your breath? Like, how are you treating your breath? It's very much an embodied awareness. Locke calls it heart-mind. Kind of draws out this map of consciousness, and we have that everyday mind that we're all familiar with, you know, that person up behind our forehead, behind our eyes, you know, in our head somewhere. And that's how we look at everything. There's me over here and everything else over there. We even look down on our breath from that space. And so then for anyone that's trained in Vipassana, you have mindfulness mind. And that can still be a dualistic mind. So, I mean, it can feel that way when you're first practicing. But there's a meditator in the head that doesn't, it, it can see things with its new sharp awareness and has developed some level to not grasp at the pleasant and push the unpleasant away, but kind of have this equanimity, which creates kind of this space for discerning wisdom because mm. uh, you're no longer automatically reacting. Or yeah. So then... Kind of like a flow state in a way. Very much like a flow state. Yeah. 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 Um, so and then third, he has what a lot of people stop at in the meditation world, but it's emptiness. You know, everything falls away. Nothing has its own self, its own self-entity. It's changing. It's, it's one thing. You know, it's the everlasting Heraclitus's everlasting fire. And there's a real sense of peace and equanimity and space there. But that's only one side of the coin. So Locke kind of has two stages after this, heart, mind, and, uh, yeah, interbeing. So interbeing mm. being the fourth and heart, mind being the fifth. But So Tick was a really good, Tick Not Han, if any of you are familiar with him. Oh, I love him so much. Yeah. Such a good teacher. So humble and modest and so understanding. Yeah. Patient. Yeah. Anyway, so once we get to emptiness, you know, we can't leave out all these other parts in us, right? If we're looking at it in the internal family system, they're just as real as the greater awareness that mm. knows and holds and composes all of them. So, yeah, there's a way to kind of embody both. You become the ocean and the waves. And then this last one, the heart-mind, is really tapping in, living from that emptiness and the precious human heart. What's interesting is just how that connects back to the I find myself in fragments. Um, I think I naturally have created that in some way in myself uh you know i mentioned earlier that now i say hey this is river's space like we had our time right, <laughs> right. Um, and like opening the space for all of the parts of me and allowing that to to work shaping myself in the image of the only god i know hmm. love but, I, yeah, the fragmented self was such an interesting teaching. So where did you take it when control stepped forward? Control, yeah. like, it, that was just straight from your gut. Yeah, yeah. She said, remain open. And so I just, it's like, okay, thinker, hey, we're going to be vulnerable tonight, okay? And you'll be there, don't worry. And, you know, love you, but I'm going to talk from the heart tonight. And mm. just so yeah, I got up there and it's just like control came out strongly. And so, you know, I pick someone out in the audience and have them come play my control and Paige asks me, Is there something you want to say to control? You know, and immediately 
I was feeling a sadness. Like, I almost started crying mm. right on the spot. And, right, I mean, just getting started, you know. And I said, I'm feeling a lot of distrust. And so she says, okay, can we invite someone to play distrust? And, you know, so I ask someone else to come play that role and they get up there on the stage. And So when Paige asked what I wanted to say to the distrust, I said, it's making me feel this other part or this other human. And I don't know kind of what to call him, my abuser. And I wasn't quite comfortable with that name. She, she asked, she's like, is that what you want to call him? I was like, no, not really. I'll give you their name, but not going to do that. So I was like, I'll just call him Ben, the poor kid that played my abuser. But he did, oh, my, a remarkable mm. guy that played it. And anyway, Paige asked me if there was anything I wanted to say to Ben. And I just broke down crying and I want to say I'm sorry. Mm. I'm sorry for what you went through. I'm sorry for the abuse that was in your home. And Paige asked me, do you want to bring up her abuser? Is that a piece in you? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and there was more anger there felt anger but the anger wasn't strong but it was there I feel like there wasn't really any with my abuser mm. but something changed with this one anyway so Paige asked me John would you like to bring up Ben's bigger self so the loving awake awareness mm. the ubiquitous all pervasive you know mother interconnected hand. yeah that hand on your back so yeah she picks so i i also have this wonderful woman at my back who's my love bigger greater awareness but so yeah uh paige asks if i want to bring up my abuser's love mm. Mm, so yes please and the woman that came up and she put her back on ben in the most tender, loving, beautiful way. And, oh, my goodness, just feel the whole room break. Mm. And so then Paige... Wait, so she put her back on him? How? No, put her hand on oh. Paige's back. So it's like, I have your back. You're, mm. I'm always at your back. I got you. Mm. So then Paige asks me, is there anything you would like to say to your abuser's abuser, or to Ben's abuser. And I, I'm just bawling, you know. I uh, take a second. Paige reminds me to catch my breath. Wiggle it out a little bit. And yeah, I, I do. And I said, I, I really wish I could have a real conversation with you. I wish I knew where you were in the world and I want to understand you. I'm sorry, I don't know who hurt you, but also you really hurt this person mm. and they hurt me. Mm. What a beautiful and show of compassion for that person and for yourself to hold both spaces. Yeah, there was a woman at the end who, younger, who said she was so frustrated with me. So after we kind of walked through it with the whole audience and Paige asked questions and people could ask their questions and the participants could talk and express themselves. And But anyway, she uh, was frustrated with me 
starting with compassion and not anger. But then once she saw me bring in the next abuser, she was like, oh. Mm. And that visual representation, the interconnectedness, you Mm. know, this ancestral generational trauma. Yeah. Wow. Helped open her up and really a lot of the room. A lot of people came and mentioned it. Opened up some stuff for them in their abuse. And anyway, I told you about it and you've kind of since then have gone inward there's been something heavy on you. And anyway, so that brings us tonight and why we decided to record. Do you want to? Yeah. So I guess to preface this, I'm actually going to point to one of the things that you wanted to talk about other than sex, because you've mentioned that you want to talk about drugs and Although I had been feeling that inward turn in myself, I didn't understand it. I couldn't speak to it. It was just like a deep discomfort inside of me. And so this evening we did Molly together. And when we do this, it's so, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever done the way we do it. We sit in meditation beforehand, then we do the molly, and then we come and sit in meditation afterward and just really drop into our heart and that um, molly is an entheogen, right? Um, And it just opens up that space. And tonight I was having such a hard time. I I couldn't get there. I couldn't find myself. I was feeling incredibly lost an entheogen just to pause there for a moment it's uh often referred to as a spiritual drug a connecting drug one that kind of points into the oneness of everything the interbeing n means with and theo means god um so it's creating that just incredibly expansive feeling beautiful sorry go ahead um but i wasn't feeling it. I was so tight in my chest and I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. And I asked John to play Locke Kelly's self-compassion meditation that we've done a number of times before under yeah. similar circumstances. Yeah, it's incredible. And that's adopts the IFS or internal family system model. Yeah, it was just incredible seeing these different parts of myself Um, and seeing the ones that so badly want to protect me but are wounding me instead. Like when we tell the kids to be loosey-goosey when they're riding their skateboards or when they're running down the hill, our instinct is to kind of tense and flex uh, against pressure and fear and trying to grab control. And so I could feel myself doing that, and Locke really led me to find that fragment of myself that was locking up and scared and like have gratitude for it. It was incredible. The way he maps things out is Mm. just beautiful. So after that meditation, I was wide open. I was sobbing during the whole thing and sat up and John wanted to go for a walk, but I, oh, my body was so heavy. And then I, uh, I was able to reveal to him who my abuser had been. And this kind of goes back a little bit further, like the buildup to letting this out goes back a little further. We recently went to a friend's house and longtime friend of John's now has a family, incredibly charismatic individual, kind in, in, Everything I've seen in his life, he is kind. And there's something that's uncomfortable about him for me. I don't like when he touches me. Yeah, there's a sexual leaning forward. Yeah. And, like, sometimes his hugs are really nice and genuine. And sometimes they don't feel that way. And, you know, hand on my leg. Things that normally I'm totally okay with any friend doing. Right. The motivation's just different. Yeah. It's felt. 
and it feels like I'm I want to be respectful of his wife and like anyhow it got me thinking a lot about me feeling uncomfortable in a space and still having a hard time like differentiating this individual I would not spend one-on-one time with but I'm okay in group spaces and specifically when John is there and I believe that this human deserves that grace seeing the whole of that person yeah and and of course the embodied or the heart mind to taking into consideration your precious human heart it doesn't mean we can't establish boundaries even around the people we love absolutely that's just been so hard for me in the past you know um my boundaries were broken at the very youngest of ages and um sometimes it hurts worse when you put the boundary up and they break it right oh yeah so to bring it back to drugs again (laughs) we went hiking on saturday and we did a 25 mile hike and we took acid and what I want to say about my experiences with psychedelics is that a hundred micrograms to be clear yes a hundred mics my relationship with acid and molly has always been one of spiritual discovery I think it's been a really beautiful interesting thing for me to promote so much healing within myself and it's only in combination with other support systems like meditation and yoga practice but there's a drug that can turn you off downers and dull the mind and the senses and you know alcohol heroin but yeah, these entheogens and psychedelics really amplify experience. And they put you in a space of awake awareness where you can deal with traumas with a little more ease and space and love, compassion. Yeah. Um, so we went on this hike on Saturday and A couple of days before that, we had been to this friend's house for dinner, and he had made me feel uncomfortable. And we talked about it a little bit, but I had this gnawing in me about the kids and what it means when we go to somebody's home for dinner. Does it mean to them that they're a safe person? Does it mean to them, like, we're hugging them and showing them love? Is it endorsing these people? And I kind of brought that up on the, the hike. And yeah, the way we talked about it opened up a lot of grace for him and how I was feeling around him. And somehow that tied into the IFS stuff and your compassion around your experience with Paige and the sculpt. Just, you described it in a deeper nature on the hike than I had heard it. And filled in some spaces that I just was missing and the compassion the beautiful compassion you had for those girls and understanding you know that anger towards whomever introduced those girls to those behaviors that was so beautiful to me and I was still struggling with this like this fear around keeping my kids safe. And the other night, I um, I had the most painful nightmare I've ever had. And it was so vivid. I had left the kids with someone to babysit. I clearly knew this person. I don't know who this person is. It's just a body in the dream. And I came back in, and they weren't being babysat at home. It was like at a church. They were on pews. Well, he was on a pew, and Annalise and Olivia. And he was sexually assaulting them. And it was just like that 
moment they both looked at me when I came in the door and oh my god I um in the dream I pulled out my pocket knife pulled the knife on the man I had so much rage and I was calling 911 at the same time oh but it was taking everything in me not to attack him and I realized that I think that that man in the dream is probably my abuser's abuser. And I haven't figured out how to be compassionate, or I hadn't figured out how to be compassionate to him. And I don't even know if it's a him, but that compassion that you showed made me know that I could safely share who had put me through that pain because I love that human so deeply. Mm. I love her so, so much. And I feel for her, whoever taught her those behaviors. Mm. And I feel for whoever came before that in the chain. And if it could just stop here yeah see it understand it hold it like a baby tenderly compassionately Mm. let that pain move through you it's been just the most heart opening day Annalise came down and we were laying on the couch outside and she just she (laughs) had a little zit um, that was making her hurt. And John said something about her being a teenager already. And what did I tell you? <laughs> Not to grow up, <laughs> but I'm doing it anyway. <laughs> and John just hugged her and held her so sweetly, forehead to forehead. And then as she was walking away, I said, Hey, tell me what it feels like right now that growing up and she came over and almost started crying pretty immediately oh I feel stressed that I'm you can't hold me like this when I'm older or you won't be able to cradle me like a baby it was so sweet so I said oh do you want to do you want me to hold you like a baby and just big big tears in her eyes yes I just rocked her in my arms like a baby and she just let out some good cries and, you know, some fears about, hey, she's, she feels like she's losing memories and she'll lose memories as she gets older. And we just stared in each other's eyes, said, hey, those memories are gone, but we're making a new one right here. Like, hold this moment. Can you hold it? And she just, like, released. Mm-hmm. So sweet. Mm, I love our kids. And poor Livy was throwing up. And she's just the sweetest, most loving thing. Even when this she's sick as can be. Precious little humans. Well, I really appreciate you opening up to me today. You know, like I said, I've been feeling that weight within the past few days. And I'm sorry you carried that and I'm happy it's bubbled up and you and I both I think want to call Paige and just tell her how Mm. grateful we are for what she's opened up and let her see how big her ripple is you know Mm. absolutely yeah the care we put into our lives it ripples outward well and the combination that Locke and Paige give, the depth and dynamic that they play with each other, I'm only experiencing secondhand, and it is changing my whole world. It is opening me up and allowing me to move forward, to be. (laughs) It's incredible. Mm. Well, before we go... Could you please share a few more poems with us? Yeah. 
Dear daughter, you are a child of the earth, my dear. Your skin bears her colors, your eyes her stormy seas. You were born with fire in your lungs. You were born with fight in your blood. You are your daddy's child. But there are people, my love, who will see you, your skin as camouflage. They will look through you, over you, past you, and because you bear Earth's colors, there are those who will want to walk on top of you. But you will get to choose how you respond. Some days you will be the calm, and some days, baby, you will be the storm. And always, no matter what, I will be your mother. Dear daughter, I watch you now, intrepid adventurer, climber of trees, collector of bugs, and I wonder, was I ever as brave as you? I wonder how fear came to possess me. I wonder when self-doubt sunk in. And I vow to be more like you. Because I know that you will learn to love yourself by the way I talk to my reflection. So I vow to love my body. To love the canyons you carved into my hips. To love the crater in my womb left by your presence. I vow to embrace the power of creation my body holds, because you are a daughter of the earth, my dear. And I vow that always, no matter how my body withers, I will be your mother. Dear daughter, you will search the globe over for words that feel like home. You will try labels on and some will fit like second skin. But I want you to remember that labels will never tell your whole story. Not for you, not for anyone. Remember that words will fail you, that there may be times that the words you love fall sharp and bitter from your tongue. And in that moment, child, I hope your mouth wraps around the sweet taste of one word, mother, because always, no matter what other labels you or I wear, I will always be your mother. Well, thank you so much for sharing your beauty and your story and your pain and your trauma. And thank you for opening to me. I love you so much. I love you. <sighs> Until next time. <laughs>